It's all happening at the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store, and you can go there right now at the-politocrat.myshopify.com. Lots of good new items, brand new, designed by yours truly. So please head to the Politocrat Daily Podcast online store now. Thank you very much. Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Friday, April the 2nd, 2021. On this edition of The Politocrat, the look back at day four of the murder trial of Derek Chauvin. It was a bad day, or I should say, not a good day, or rather, not an impressive day. For the prosecution. Call this the first decent day the defense has had in this trial thus far. I'll explain why coming up next. I was pretty upset and I started kind of fussing in the corner of the lobby. And uh, at one point, (laughs) Floyd came up to me. Floyd has this great, deep, southern voice, raspy. And he's like, sis, you okay, sis? And I wasn't okay. I said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting for my son's father. He said, um, sons and I this kind person just to come up to me and say can I pray with you when I felt alone in this lobby it was so sweet and at the time I had lost a lot of faith in God That was Courtney Ross. She was the girlfriend of George Floyd. And that was her yesterday on the witness stand in day number four, on day number four of the murder trial of Derek Chauvin. Now, you heard the emotion there from Courtney Ross and what seemed, at least like a very good start to the day with a very compelling witness. And as I 
had said myself on Twitter yesterday at the popcorn R E E L, a witness who I'm sure had much of the world crying all over again before they'd even sat in and settled in to this day number four, just half an hour or so in, if that, people I'm sure around the world, many of them who were watching were crying. As Courtney Ross told this story about George Floyd, the person, George Floyd, the man, George Floyd, the loving human being that he was. George Floyd, the provider, George Floyd, the person that she met. And she told that story about George Floyd and how Mr. Floyd was someone who was open and caring and empathetic. But I think it was about maybe a few more minutes in that the prosecution, led by Matthew Frank, had this bright idea of introducing George Floyd's drug use. And that's one of the things that sent alarm bells ringing for me. I wonder if it did for you too, dear listener. I do understand that, of course, the defense is going to bring up George Floyd's use of drugs like that has anything to do with anything. I understand the defense would do that, and so does the prosecution, which is why I think the prosecution preemptively struck first, bringing it into evidence. Now, my whole thing is, is that, I you know, look, I remember doing, look, and I get, I'm, I'm not a criminal lawyer, and I don't do that kind of legal work. I do legal work, but not in the criminal realm. Not in trial law, not in criminal trial lawyering at all. I've interned, though, in um, various law firms while I was still in law school about, you know, you know, on the dealing with criminal trials. And certainly I got involved in some of that. And I remember in law school that I thought that there was, and I could be wrong about this, some of you who are in law school right now can correct me or a fellow lawyer can correct me. I thought that you couldn't, as a defense attorney, bring up something that was not agreed upon to be brought up in a trial. For example, I know there are various laws in various states when it comes to victims that you can't bring up their history if they're a victim, particularly if they are a victim of rape. That is something that has been pretty much enacted in a lot of states, if not all states. I know in New York, that's the case. You can't bring up prior crimes evidence. That's something I learned in law school. You cannot bring up prior crimes evidence. And I'm not so sure that there's an exception to that or not. But way back when, when I was in law school, I seem to remember that you just couldn't bring up evidence of prior crimes committed by a victim or evidence of behavior of a victim, particularly, once again, in rape cases. You couldn't start to talk about a woman's history of relationships that she had or people that she slept with or anything like that in order to somehow suggest to a jury that, well, hey, she's a woman of uh, certain means. So therefore, because she's a woman of uh, certain means, 
that she somehow did not get raped here. And therefore, you should discount what the prosecution say. You know, that kind of thing isn't allowed anymore, at least in the vast majority of states here in this United States. Best to my knowledge. So here, in a very different situation where someone's life has been taken, and taken so blatantly and so brutally and so coldly, with such malice and evil, why are we hearing about George Floyd's drug use? And as I said, I get it, you know, to a certain degree, the prosecution are doing this as a preemptive strike. But my whole thing is, why? I mean, I know why. But why not let the defense be the bad guy and let him bring it up? Let him bring up his drug use. Because it's got nothing to do at all with the fact that for 10 minutes, for nearly 10 minutes, the defendant, Derek Chauvin, sat on George Floyd with his knee, planted squarely and deeply into his neck, while Mr. Floyd was face down on the asphalt, handcuffed behind his back, What do George Floyd and drugs have to do with a goddamned thing? And I do revisit what I said on Twitter yesterday about the preemptiveness. In fact, I revisit what I've just said a few moments ago. Why bring it up at all, prosecutor, Matthew Frank? Why bring it up at all? That's all I'm asking is why do you bring up George Floyd's drug use. He is not on trial. But of course, dear listener, as you and I both know, as we all know, black people are constantly on trial in the United States, even if they are not inside a courtroom, even if they are six feet under, even if they are just walking down the street, even if they are jogging, even if they are in a supermarket or a grocery store or a bank, even if they are bird watching in Central Park, even if they're opening up their lemonade business in San Francisco, California, black people in America, from Maine to Florida, from Texas to California, from Oregon to the Pacific Northwest, specifically way up there in the corner of Washington State. Black people are on trial daily. When we're sleeping in our beds, we're on trial. Breonna Taylor found that out. On trial. When we're going to help someone cross the street, we're on trial. When we make a turn and we don't put on our indicator signal, we're on trial. Sandra Bland, we are on trial constantly. And this prosecutor today and yesterday and the day before and next week and next week and the week after that and after that has already put George Floyd on trial. Matthew Frank did exactly that yesterday. 
He's going to do it again today. He's going to do it next week. He's going to do it the week after that. All of these prosecutors are putting George Floyd on trial and he's dead. As if George Floyd committed the crime of 10 minutes of sitting on the neck of himself. I mean, this is what America is treating you as. An idiot. Those of you watching this around the world, if you have not yet been aware of what the United States of America does to black people, then I think you are getting somewhat a crash course in it during this trial. Because you couldn't have a more bumbling, stumbling, mediocre, milk toast set of prosecutors. These prosecutors are awful. And Matthew Frank committed the first sin today and yesterday. Because look, I'm, I'm speaking about this in future tense because I'm telling you this guy's going to do this again today. He definitely did it yesterday. I'm sitting there watching this. I'm working, I'm watching, I'm working, I'm watching, I'm tweeting. I'm wa- I mean, I didn't think I got very much work done. But I'm telling you, this is just absolutely insane. And if you still have the optimism that many of you seem to, based upon where I was looking on Twitter, at least, there are a great many people who do believe that Derek Chauvin is going to be convicted of something. Now, they are not necessarily thinking he's going to be convicted on all the charges, They are not even necessarily thinking he's going to be convicted on the most severe charge. And I put those two words or three words in quotes because he doesn't have a most severe charge here. It should be intentional murder in the first degree. It is only on intentional murder in the second degree. And right there, as I keep saying to you, dear listener, right there is where the fix is in. If they really valued black life, if the Hennepin County District Attorney's Office and if the Minnesota Attorney General, yeah, that's you, Keith Ellison. I know you're a black man. I know you're a progressive. But you are working within a system that does not like black people. It's an anti-black system. Because if that was a white person lying there, in fact, first of all, the white person would not be treated that way, the way that Derek Chauvin did to that brother, Mr. Floyd. You wouldn't even have that scenario with a white person to begin with. But let's say that in some crazy alternative universe, you did. You would have paramedics who would be much more urgent about the situation. You would have prosecutors who would fight like hell and talk about the deceased as if that person was their own sister or brother or mother or father. And you wouldn't even have a trial last four days, quite frankly. This thing would have been over. I mean, uh, this is just crazy. Oh, we're going to have nearly four weeks of a trial? I get it. Today, um, the trial is going to probably last for about two or three hours. Um, Yesterday, Judge Peter Cahill told everybody that the trial is moving along quicker than expected. And I'm kind of skeptical of that. But I don't know if it was quicker than expected. I don't think this thing should even be more than a week long, to be honest with you. 
Now, there are some people on Twitter like Chelsea Handler who don't think there should be a trial. And I'm thinking, Chelsea, please study your history before you say something so ill-informed. You may have millions of Twitter followers, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know what you're talking about. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you are a student of history. Because anybody saying that this evil piece of garbage, Derek Chauvin, shouldn't even have a trial is absolutely out of their minds. I do want to tell Miss Handler, and I know she's not listening right now, but if she ever were, and if someone knows her who is listening to me right now, maybe you could pass this little bit of information along. Chelsea, many, many times in the history of the United States, white lynch mobs stormed into police precincts and pulled black men out of jail and lynched them before they could even have any trial. So I really do think that some of these celebrities who talk really think before they do speak because I am not a fan of people going, oh, they should stick to their day, day jobs. No, if they've got an opinion, they've got an opinion. Doesn't necessarily mean that every opinion, including mine, is sufficiently well informed. But I would like to think that when I speak to you, dear listener, that I do speak from not only a sense of experience and history, but because I'm speaking from knowledge and education and a grasp of history, and books that I've read, and things that I've seen, and events that I have consumed, and things that I have learned, and I'm still learning, and still seeing. I would like to think that I have a little teeny, teeny, tiny bit of knowledge, and a historical, and historical, I should say, perspective. But... You know, when people say silly things like this on Twitter about, well, he sh they shouldn't be a trial for Derek Chauvin. I mean, that's just so foolish. The guy should get a trial. He's a piece of garbage. He's a murderer. But in the country that we live in, we are supposedly people who give trials. And that's what we're supposed to do. Now, we didn't do it, of course. Um, we didn't have a proper trial, the first impeachment trial of, uh, you know, the orange blunder the orange monstrosity and there were no witnesses presented and actually there was really no witnesses actually presented in this second trial that we had um, earlier this year except to say that there was something technically a witness um, exhibit read into the evidence so technically there was a witness it was the congresswoman the republican congresswoman from washington state speaking of the pacific northwest jamie uh herrera bootler so there was, I guess, technically speaking, that one witness statement that was read into the record. But look, we have trials in the United States of America. We are not Russia, where they have trial by blooming telephone. I mean, we are not those places. I mean, we've definitely veered toward those places and we've definitely done a lot of things around the world that wouldn't make those who think this country is perfect um, very, well, whatever it would make their position a little bit more difficult to have. 
our foreign policy is not the envy of the world. And we have done some really bad things around the world in this country to people around the world and inside this country. So, you know, again, I, I veer off course here a little bit. Um, but as reprehensible as this garbage is, he must have a trial. You know, he must have a trial. And, and I mean, that's that's what separates as odious as the dealings of this country are and can be and have been and still are in many, many an instance. That is still what separates us from the vast majority of countries around the world is that we do give trials for the most part, right, to people who commit heinous acts of violence. Or we leave them on death row where they end up getting executed. But yeah, again, this is... Um, I really do want to get back to this because there's nothing that George Floyd did on May the 25th, 2020 that would merit him being executed in such a gruesome way or executed at all. I don't care what he did, but there's nothing he did that did that justifies it. And I think that the defense is, well, let me just put it this way, dear listener. I think that the prosecution has been the best help that the defense could ever hope for today and yesterday and the day before that and the day before that and this week. I think that the prosecution today, and because I do think they're going to do this again today, yesterday, definitely, and the previous days, uh, well, I mean, Wednesday, not so much, but yesterday, definitely, the prosecution were the best help of the defense. And I think the defense had a decent day yesterday. I hate to say that, but I have to be honest and direct and, and uh, call it as I see it. Eric Nelson, and I know I mocked him and called him half Nelson. He still is, you know. Um, half Nelson did a decent job yesterday, but not because he was so fantastic. It's because the quality of the prosecution and not necessarily the evidence they presented, but how, how they presented it, the manner was mediocre at best. Mediocre at best. All of the poor questioning. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a lot of, that's a lot of question I'm asking you. Let me rephrase it. How many times this week, dear listener? Have you, if you've been watching this trial, how many times this week have you heard one of the prosecutors or all of the prosecutors say, oh, I'm sorry, that's a long question. Let me rephrase it. Let me ask you something. Or let me remind you of something. When Michael Frank says, oh, I'm sorry, that's a long question. I have to rephrase it. He's not just talking to the witness. You know who else he's talking to? He's talking to the jury. The jury is listening intently. And if you can't clearly, clearly, if you cannot clearly as a prosecutor formulate your question to a witness whom I'm assuming you prepped prior to the beginning of this trial, if you cannot properly, properly, 
formulate a question to the witness that is your own prosecution witness, you are in trouble. Your case is in trouble. And the jury, well, the jury, the jury will tune you out. Welcome back. I am, and you know this well, dear listener, I have been saying this all week long. I am not confident about the outcome of this trial. I am not, I am not, I am not. And I know that there are people who may be listening right now thinking, come on, there's no way this guy can walk. There's no way, no way that Derek Chauvin, who you and I, we all did see him sit on a handcuff, a handcuffed Mr. George Floyd for nearly 10 minutes with his knee in his neck, with Derek Chauvin, the defendant, sticking his knee into the neck of a handcuffed Mr. Floyd. who was begging for his life, crying out for the mother who had died two years before. And don't forget the defendant was asking him, what do you want? It's as plain as day. Dear listener, it's as plain as day. The defendant in this case, Derek Chauvin, is a murderer. Intentional murder. First degree. Under the prison. Throw him under the prison. That's what has to happen here. And how many times have I heard prosecutors calling the defendant Mr. Chauvin, Mr. Chauvin. I talked about this in prior episodes of this podcast, dear listener. Just this week. How many times did I sit and have to hear a prosecutor calling the defendant Mr. Chauvin over and over and over again? And I hear prosecutors calling Mr. Floyd, that man, George Floyd, that man, George Floyd, him, him, he, him. He has a name. His name is Mr. George Floyd, Mr. George Floyd. That is his name, George Floyd, the gentleman, George Floyd. Call him that. Call him the gentleman. Call him Mr. Floyd. Call him the deceased Mr. Floyd. Keep repeating that, you prosecutors, you. You are not doing a good enough job. And I don't know that this jury, even with a strong piece of evidence like that video, which is going to be the thing, if he does get convicted, it's going to be because of the video. Because of that brave 
young sister. The teenage girl, teenage girl that had the courage, the courage to put that recording device on. She turned that darn thing on and caught it all every minute. And if it wasn't for her, this guy would have walked already. In fact, he wouldn't even have been indicted. He'd still be on the force now. He'd still be on it. He'd still be on the Minneapolis Police Department. He would. He isn't anymore. I want to know if he's getting pay. I want to know if he's getting back pay. I want to know if he's getting a pension. I think he's getting all of those things, don't you? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe I can go look that up. Maybe you can. But I'm telling you, dear listener, right now, we are looking at this trial. And I am asking one or even two questions that maybe you've had floating in your mind too over these last few days. One of them is, who the hell is on trial here? And number two, which side is the prosecution on? This is a case that, understandably, is one that is fraught with a lot of high tension, anger, passion, all kinds of emotion, and great suspense. Because there are people who are wondering, are a 12-member jury going to do what that jury in Simi Valley did? Are they going to? Nearly 30. In fact, it would be over. Well, not quite. It would be almost 30 years. Remember that jury in Simi Valley? In California? Here in California. Southern California, but in California nonetheless. Then in 1992, April of 1992, I think it might have been April 29th or so, of 1992, the jury acquitted those four white LAPD cops who we all saw on video beating the living daylights out of Rodney King. It was actually the living nightlights because it was done early in the night, rather early in the morning, that after midnight, on March the 5th, 1991. We all saw it, thanks to George Holiday. Peculiar man, that George Holiday, but no, never mind that. That's a whole nother podcast episode at another time. But he caught this thing on video. He was just experimenting with his video camera. Video cameras. Oh, my God. That shows you how old some of us are, including me. But George Holiday was, uh, speaking of George, another George, a different George. He was a white George. George Holiday was experimenting with his video camera and what should happen. Ooh, oh, my gosh. I'm going to open my blinds and... What is this? What are these police doing? And who are they beating? That's a person they're beating. It's not a wild animal. Some people think that there is no difference between a wild animal and a black person. And some of those people believe that Derek Chauvin didn't do anything. That's the racist kind and the evil kind that you've got lurking in this country and others. 
But 31 years ago now, almost, that's what happened. I shouldn't say but. I'm simply saying 31 years ago almost, a mostly white jury acquitted these cops. And I'm telling you, while Rodney King did not die during that beating or as a result of that beating, he definitely died later on of a broken heart, basically. And I'm telling you, it will not surprise me if this guy walks. And I'm telling you now, I'm talking about Derek Chauvin. You can see what's going on in that courtroom. Remember, if you listen back to the episode I did it maybe two or three days ago now, um, about why I think Derek Chauvin is going to walk. And I gave a list of reasons in that podcast episode. It's earlier this week. It may have been Tuesday. It may have been Wednesday of this week. Probably Wednesday's episode since we're now on Friday. But it was probably the last episode in March, which would have been on Wednesday, two days ago. I gave a litany of reasons as to why I think Derek Chauvin will walk. He won't get convicted of a thing. And by the way, if I'm wrong and he gets convicted of third degree murder, will you be going, told you, told you, Omar, you got it wrong. I wouldn't be chiming about that, by the way, because for him to be only convicted, if he is at all, of third degree murder, when we all saw this guy deliberately putting his hands in his pockets, saying cheese for the cameras, he's looking at the cameras. Looking at the cat. Hey, this guy doesn't care. He doesn't give a rats. Hands in his pockets. Nah, no problem. No problem. You, not you, but there are people who would be more upset if he had done that to their to a pet, not theirs, to any dog. And they are less upset now that it was done to a human being named Mr. George Floyd. They're not as upset. But if that were a dog that he was doing that to, if that were a dog that Derek Chauvin was doing all that to, they would be up in arms. They would be in the street. They would be in the streets. That's how people value life over life. That's how they value A dog over a human being, a black person. That is America. That is a large swath or a sizable swath of white America. Not everybody, but a sizable number of people feel this way. They'll never admit it, but you know it's true. And some of you who are white listening to this have people in your families who don't give a rat's ass about George Floyd who are rooting for Derek Chauvin or whom have said racist things to you about black people. You know this is true. And I hope that if you know this is true, that you, that you stand up to them when they do this in your family. And you don't let that slide. This is really disgusting. These prosecutors, by the way, I think are the best asset of the defense. The defense yesterday, as I said, I know people don't want to hear it. 
The defense did decently. I'm not going to say they did well. Eric Nelson's job is very simple. I've said this before. I'll say it again. All Eric Nelson has to do is create some doubt. Just a little bit of doubt. He only has to get one juror. The prosecutors have to get all 12. I liken it crudely, if you can excuse me, please, to the whole axiom that says the terrorists only have to be right once, but we and the FBI and the DNI and the CIA, we have to be right every single time. I know, horrible analogy, crude analogy. I'm sorry. But that is the reality. The reality is, is that the prosecution, to be successful here, has to prove its case beyond a reasonable doubt. Do you think they've done that so far? I do have grave doubts about this prosecution. I've aired them from almost the very start. I think day one, I gave them a pass because it was day one. I felt, well, you know, um, they don't necessarily have to come out here fire and brimstone. But as the days progressed, I was very concerned. And I've told you, I've shared my concerns with you. You know the way I stand and where I feel about this case. The way I feel, I, 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 listen, I'm not, I don't want this guy to walk. Are you kidding? I want him convicted on everything. I don't think it's going to be enough to get him on one thing. If the one thing is the strongest, weakest, strongest charge or the, you know, the, the unintentional second degree murder, I'll take it. I'll take it. I don't know what George Floyd's family would do. Would they take that? I don't know. And don't talk to me about the $27 million settlement. That's got nothing to do with this case. Nothing. I mean, it does provoke a little worry because we know what happened with Breonna Taylor when she got a 12 or 14, or her family got a 12 or $14 million settlement. And then you found out that these cops within a month of that never got indicted at all for anything to do with Breonna Taylor. Oh, but yeah, uh, Brent Hankerson, he ended up getting indicted for shooting into the apartment next door. Reckless endangerment of the bullet holes that went into the wall next door. Not the ones that went into a human being named Breonna Taylor, but into the house next door, into the wall. Which again shows you what America thinks about black people, what the criminal so-called justice system thinks about black people, and what the American society thinks of black people, and what a lot of white Americans think about black people. They don't. Of course there are some white people who care and who do believe in, truly believe in justice and, and all of that good stuff, fine, that's great. Thank you. Challenge people in your neighborhood and your family. Thank you very much. We, we appreciate your support, but your support is best, best effectuated when you challenge white people in your neighborhood, your friends, your family. That's how that fight has to be waged. Thank you. But I am definitely thinking this guy's walking. Uh, I'm telling you, after, again, it just can every day, even though Wednesday was a banner day for the prosecution, it was the evidence, wasn't it? It was the evidence that really was the thing that took off on Wednesday for the prosecution. That was gut-wrenching stuff. 
And the jury had to have seen that and processed it the very same way that you and I and people all around the world processed it with great indigestion and mental difficulty and mental indigestion. Because some of those things we had never seen before. We had seen the video, but we had never seen some of the stuff that the prosecution had put up. And it was evil, just like everything else we had already seen was evil. But I do think this guy's going to walk. And I'm not just saying it because I want to be right. I don't want to be right. But 400 years of history and facts have told me otherwise, have shown me otherwise, have shown you otherwise. We've seen this movie before. I've seen that movie too. Over and over and over again. It's not a sequel. It's not even many sequels. It's one movie. Over 400 years. Different actors, different players, different prosecutors and judges and defense attorneys, all working together. Come on. Nobody has asked the question, I don't think, that I have asked. And I asked yesterday on Twitter, at the popcorn, R-E-E-L. And the question is this. Do any of the attorneys who are prosecuting this case have any kind of relationship with Derek Chauvin, the defendant? Have they ever worked with the defendant, Derek Chauvin, in any capacity prior to May 25th, 2020? Have they known him in any capacity prior to May 25th, 2020. Have any of those prosecutors ever had any kind of working relationship or otherwise with the defendant, Derek Chauvin? I want an answer to that question, to those questions, and I don't think I'm ever going to get one. That's a question that everybody should be asking if they haven't already. I don't think you can really Pretend that that's not a question to ask. Because the way these prosecutors are behaving, oh, don't get me started on Aaron Eldridge, the worst prosecutor of the lot of them. Just pathetic yesterday. Absolutely hopeless. Mediocre, worse than mediocre. Dreadful. I, I did enough of the commentary about her on Twitter. I'm not going to do it here again. And this is about her as a prosecutor. Okay? Because I know someone is going to say, well, you've got it in for Erin Eldridge. Erin Eldridge is a woman, and therefore you are really making these comments because you do not like women. And I think the person who says that is a person who does not like women. Because if you're only gateway, into trying to sidetrack an observation that was seen by so many other people, male, female, or otherwise, on Twitter. Not the most scientific place, but nonetheless, you had all these people on my timeline telling me exactly what I was saying. She's awful. She's terrible. She's disgraceful. I can't watch her. They need to replace her. I mean, I've heard this from everybody. I'm hearing it from white women, white men. I'm hearing it from black women. I'm hearing it from... In fact, the people I didn't hear it from mostly were black men. 
She's a dreadful prosecutor, folks. This is not about, oh, well, you don't like her because she's a woman. And you don't like, you don't like it. No, no, no. This is about her job. This is about her inability to do her job. This is a worldwide trial. The whole world got on its feet. Well, not every single person in the world, but much of the world last summer got on its feet, marched and marched and marched for months. In the name of this gentleman, George Floyd, and for a prosecutor to stand up there and constantly fumble and stumble and stutter and can't blooming well frame or phrase a question properly, doesn't know how to properly question the witness that she supposedly prepped. This is absolutely prosecutorial malpractice. Nespa? This is pros- this is prosecutor. I-, I can't even speak. This is prosecutorial malpractice, surely. You cannot tell me, dear listener, that with all the time that these attorneys have had to prepare for this case, these prosecutors could be this bad? Unless there's a vested interest for them in being this bad. Because you know the history. These prosecutors always make careers off of black people's backs. Whether those black people are dead or whether those black people are alive. We saw what happened in the O.J. Simpson case. Look what happened to Marsha Clark. They lost the bloody case. Look what happened to Marsha Clark. She got book deals. She got television shows. She hosted or appeared on. She got this. She got that. She got the other, she's a pundit, she's this, she's that. They made a movie out of her, a TV movie off of her. Chris Darden, book deal and this, and he had a show and he had that. They're making, and and they bloody well lost the case. Everybody who said OJ Simpson was guilty, I mean, my God, then, then why didn't these people win their case? And it ain't just because OJ had this lawyer named Johnny Cochran, God rest his soul. It's not just because, and I met Johnny Cochran on two different occasions. He, he really was a decent person, a gentleman, a really good person. Personally speaking. And I mean, it wasn't just because Johnny Cochran was so good. It's because the prosecution sucked. They stunk up the joint in that case. How do you give a glove? Damn it. How do you give a glove to someone that they've not tried on before in court? Huh? How do you do that? How do you give a glove that had been over a year old and you get the guy to put it on in the courtroom a year later? Oh, boy. That's when they lost that case, you know. And then all these people got book deals and Chris Darden, he's on TV. And oh, and oh, yes, it was that case took its toll. Motherfucker got book deals. Marsha Clark, book deal. 
this one, book deal, that one, book deal. I know the, the OJ defense attorneys got their deals and F. Lee Bailey got his and Robert Shapiro. We found out some of these people are scumbags and, you know, Kardashian ended up passing away. And ah, oh, come on, come on. And we know Johnny Cochran passed away. But you, 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 listen, as I said, there are prosecutors who make a mint off of the backs of black folk, whether they're dead or alive. I can talk about the Central Park case. Although in that case, technically Linda Fairstein, who was the uh, head of the Manhattan Sex Crimes Unit back in the day, the NYPD, actually had started making some money, I guess technically before that case began. And she was in her budget, but she had just started that career of her writing all these books based on crimes. And she made a mint off of that case. And she's a you-know-what. And she made a mint off of those innocent brothers. These are boys. They were like 16 and 15 and 14 years old. And she made a mint off of that. I can go, listen, I could bore you to tears of all the cases where these prosecutors have made a mint off of a black person, whether they've been convicted, whether they've been acquitted, whether they're the victim, whether they're not the victim. I can go chapter and verse on every single one of those cases. And you would be sleeping by the time I'm finished. Before I'm finished, you'd be sleeping. So I'm going to spare you that. Unless you are an insomniac. If you are an insomniac, maybe I might reconsider. But for the sake of this episode, dear listener, I'm telling you. Can't you just see Aaron Eldridge and Matthew Frank and... Jerry Blackwell and all of these milk toast ass motherfucking prosecutors who aren't doing jack. Can't you just see them getting book deals in 2.2 seconds? I, I, I'm telling you, you're hearing from a very dissatisfied, pissed off person who is looking through not a crystal ball, but looking at and looking in front of the history that you and I and the world have seen over and over and over and over again. And if you want to turn around and deny it and pretend that it doesn't exist, that's up to you. If you want to feel that you don't want to be uncomfortable so you don't have to look at the world around you because you're in your lovely little comfortable bubble, that is your concern. And I'm not necessarily talking to you, dear listener. I'm talking to other people out in the world. But if it, if it does apply to someone you know, Make sure you nudge them and uh, maybe give them a copy of this podcast to listen to, this episode. Send them a link. Because, I mean, it's just so obvious. And when I was watching that monstrosity yesterday, particularly, I mean, these prosecutors were stumbling. They weren't clear. They had to keep repeating the question. You've got the witness asking them, oh, could you repeat that, please? Could you repeat that? You've got other witnesses saying, well, is that all you wanted me to say? I mean, the witnesses are freaking well telling them. Is that all you want me to say? I mean, my goodness. Can't you see, dear listener? Well, I know you can. For those of you who aren't tuning into this really clearly, it's so obvious that this prosecution is way below par. Way below par. And, El and Aaron Eldridge is atrocious. She just is not a good prosecutor. And this is what happens when you have mediocre white prosecutors who don't give a rat's ass about black people's lives. 
And I'm not necessarily saying that she doesn't give a rat, but she is not good at her job. And I'm telling you, it's not just her. I'm telling you, the other prosecutors, including the brother, the black prosecutor, I don't think any of these people are any good. They are, I'm telling you right now, you are looking at it and you're going to hear it here first. You are looking, dear listener, at a train wreck. And I'm, I'm not going to listen. If I'm wrong and I hope to hell I'm wrong, I will I will sit here and I will tell you I'm wrong. You can throw all the egg you want at me. But if I'm correct, I am not going to celebrate being correct. I am just going to say nothing. I promise you, I will not say anything about I told you so or anything else. I am going to be quiet, which for some people is actually a lovely little thing. (laughs) I promise I won't say anything about what I said. I'm just going to comment on the outcome of the case. I will not refer back to what I have said in any tweet, in anything else. I am not going to. Because I don't believe in doing that, especially in this case, when the world can see. Those of you in the world who are gifted with sight, who are fortunate enough to be able to see, know in your heart and soul that what happened was an execution on video. It was a snuff film. And for people to pretend otherwise shows you how evil and empty they are as human beings and how dead inside they are. And how they want to live in a fake and alternative universe where nothing ever happens to anybody. Because they're selfish and they don't care. And they're miserable and they don't have a real life. And they've got to make it artificially perfect. But for the rest of us, the other 96% of us. I see trouble. I think you know it. You know it. It's like what John Fogarty once sang. I see a bad moon rising here. I I totally see it. There is no way this guy is going to get convicted. I know. I I hear it all the time on social media. Oh, no. There's no way he's going to walk away from this. How naive. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But those people who say that, I bet you most of them are not black. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just telling you, this is the naivete of people. How many times have we seen black people murdered on video and nothing's happened? Nothing. There's not been an indictment, let alone a trial. There's been nothing. Nothing. There's been absolutely nothing. And if you're sitting here telling me that this guy's going to get something... What is the something he's going to get? A suspended sentence when he's convicted? I mean, don't forget, we still got the, if he does get convicted of something, do you really think he's going to get a lot of jail time? Cast your mind back a year or two, dear listener. Remember Amber Geiger, the white female police officer in Dallas, Texas? She burst into the apartment of a young brother named Botham John. Remember that case? And she shot him dead. Pump, pump, pump. Three times in the stomach or in the heart or whatever. Boom, dead. And what happened? What is she? How much time did she get when she was convicted? Oh, she got 10 years and a suspended sentence. 
she may only serve five years. Shut up. Oh, there's no way he can get off. Oh, please. Bad Moon Rising, John Fogarty of Credence, if I could speak. Credence Clearwater Revival, John Fogarty, who, by the way, he can't even get to play some of his songs. There was a case he lost, I seem to remember a few years ago now, where he couldn't even get to play some of his songs, his own songs he wrote. I think he lost some kind of lawsuit. He wasn't allowed to play. It might have been center field. Put me in coach, I'm ready to play. Great tune, one of his best and he wasn't able to sing it, I believe. And Bad Moon Rising's a classic. Don't you just love... If you are of a certain age, you will love... But well, I assume. And maybe not. I shouldn't assume, because you know that makes an ass out of you and me. But if you are not an ass, and if you are not me, then you will probably think that Bad Moon Rising... <laughs> no, I think Bad Moon Rising's good too. But you probably would imagine that Bad Moon Rising... Well, it's a great tune. I'll just leave it there. But I, I play that clip, dear listener, because I'm telling you, I, I, I see a bad moon rising here. I totally see a bad moon rising in this case. And listen, I am not, when, if it happens, I'm not going to sit here and gloat. I am going to be very upset, of course, with the outcome if it comes out that way. If he gets the max... In every charge, I'll be very pleased, although, of course, I'll always be thinking he should have had first-degree intentional, you know, and, and definitely, at the very least, second-degree intentional. How can you have second-degree unintentional? I know, that's been my mantra all week. But I'm telling you right now, there is no way on earth. I'm, I, I want this guy under the prison right yesterday. I wanted him under the prison on the 25th of May, 2020. That's when I wandered in there. And I tell you what, when those firefighters showed up on the scene, I wish they had shown up a good deal earlier and had fire hoses so they could got those hoses, those water hoses, whatever, and sprayed them all over Derek Chauvin, the defendant. Full power. Blast his ass with these water hoses, with these fire hoses. Make sure that this guy gets his damn dirty hands off of the young brother, Mr. Floyd, the gentleman, get your hands off of him. What are you doing? Get your knee off of him. Uncuff the guy. What are you doing? What are you doing? Uncuff this, this young man, this gentleman. Uncuff him. What are you doing? Where's your humanity? Where's your soul? Where's your heart? Uncuff the man. You let him lie there. And then the other, and you got two others holding him down. And then you've got Officer Tao. Isn't he a piece of work? The henchman. The executioner is standing there with hands folded. All that's needed is a booming bag over his head. With the black jacket. And the vest. The executioner. I stand sentry with my arms folded. Don't look what's going on behind me. 
Don't look at what's happening behind me. Get over there. I know that my partner's choking the life out of a, a handcuffed man, but you don't have to look at it. What kind of sick society are we living in, dear listener? Where you have that happening and you don't have a first degree intentional murder charge and you have a defendant whose knee is still in the neck of a man who's dead when the paramedics show up. He wouldn't treat a dog like that. He wouldn't treat a goldfish like that. And then you've got prosecutors who sit there and treat this like mock trial, treat this like moot court, treat this like the third year of law school. I'm telling you, I, I am sitting here looking at this and I'm telling you, these prosecutors are not up for this. And I think they don't want to be up for it. I think they don't want to be. I'm telling you, they're not putting in the fire and the passion. I'm not saying they haven't done the work. I'm not saying they haven't done all the exhibits and they haven't looked at. But my goodness, the way they put the exhibits on, they're fumbling, they're stumbling. They got the exhibit number wrong. They got this wrong. They can't freaking well phrase a blooming question correct. You got a jury there. It's this jury that's watching this. It ain't so much the countries and the people all over the world that are watching it in every country. It's the jurors. It's only 12 people. And I don't care. I'll say this again. I don't care what people think about, well, there's no way he can get off. There's no way. When it doesn't matter what you and I think. It matters about what those 12 blooming people think in that jury room. And like I said before, dear listener, all it takes is one of those jurors, one of them, to say, nope, nope, not guilty. And the jury is hung. And that means there needs to be a retrial. Because if a juror says, nope, that's it. As I said before, the defense only needs one. And the way the prosecution played yesterday... It is as if the prosecution is doing all the defense work for it. I said, Eric Nelson had a good day yesterday. I mean, I don't want to go crazy here. He had a decent day yesterday. He did his client no harm. He didn't do a thing wrong. His job is to create just a teeny weeny bit of reasonable doubt. And I think that Although I don't think there was any earth-shattering thing that Eric Nelson did for his defendant, I can tell you this, he didn't agitate anybody, he didn't get anybody upset, he just questioned the timeline, he questioned the date, he questioned the procedural apparatus, that's what he did. That's what any defense attorney would do. And I've criticized him because I think he's a racist piece of garbage, and I also think he's a slob. I can tell you, Yesterday, the guy did his job. He did his job. In fact, he's done his job all along, which is to frustrate people. But yesterday was his better day of all of these days because he just was very low-key, although clear. In fact, clearer than these stumbling, muttering prosecutors you could barely hear. Some of them with smirks and smiles on the face. Take that smile off your face, son. This is not a freaking picnic. 
motherfucker. Get your get get into the game here, man. For God's sake, man. This is a serious trial. And I see this guy smirking and he's kind of got this Minnesota nice look on his face. And dude, get with the program. There's a family here who doesn't have their son, their father, their brother, their uncle. And I got these prosecutors standing up there, winking and smiling and stammering and stammering and like a stammering fuck you. They can't fucking well put a sentence together. Uh, this is a, and this is the best that Minnesota Nice has to offer the world. Oh my God. You know how many people on these social media platforms, Twitter, said to me, She's terrible. I can't watch her. She's awful. They need to replace her. I told you this earlier. They got, this is bad. She's terrible. I, I, listen, why is she on this case? Why are any of these prosecutors, male or female, why are these particular people on this case? Because they suck, in my view. They're terrible. Terrible. I could try this damn case. And I've never tried a lick of criminal. I've inter- I, I, I could try this blooming case. This is really bad. This is really bad. I know that if the victim in that case, and of course a white person would never be treated in this fashion, but let's say for argument's sake that that happened, those prosecutors would be fighting Tooth and nail. You know why I know that? History, the present, America, <laughs> racism, racists, an anti-black system. That, those are the reasons why I know this. I can also go and point to the Central Park case in New York where the woman was viciously beaten, attacked, raped, horrific, awful. And those prosecutors knew that they had the wrong boys. They knew it. And they were as passionate as you know what. I've already used the F word a few times. They were as passionate as hell. And they knew, knowing that those five black and Latino boys back in 1989 did not do this. They knew it. They had the killer in custody or I should say the attacker in custody. He had actually killed two other women or one other woman on the Upper East Side. Matias Reyes is the person I'm speaking about. They had the guy in custody. He admitted to one of the five boys who got sent off to prison as an adult for someone he didn't do. That's when the confession came. Word came or was through the grapevine either directly to one of the five young boys or through someone else that it was this guy that did it. He had admitted it. That's the only reason, along with DNA, it's the only reason these five young boys were released after some of them served 12, 13-year jail sentences, prison sentences. And I sat in that courtroom back in 89 and 90 and 91... I sat in the courtroom in New York City and I saw that case. Those prosecutors were passionate and they knew they had the wrong people. They knew it. They knew that they railroaded those boys, that they, the police beat them and coerced them. 
Held him without food for over 24 hours. Come on, wouldn't let him go to the bathroom. I was in the courtroom, I saw it. I was even, I helped out on the appeal, personally. That's one of my only few involvements with criminal law. I wrote briefs for the appeal. Those prosecutors believed in the lie of their own case and they presented it infinitely more passionately than these, yeah, I almost said defendants, attorneys, than these prosecutors in this case against Derek Chauvin. How about that? And we've got all the evidence in front of us. We all saw it. And yet these prosecutors in Minnesota are sleeping and doing so deliberately. The fix is in. I dare you to prove me wrong. I double dare you. You know it too. The fix is in. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore.